Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, joined by the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. We also welcome Tim Williams, as always, to be part of our gang here. Well, we're going to talk some NHL hockey, and when you talk hockey, it's always good to have the best in the business joining us today. Eric Erlinson is uh, a guy who started covering the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Tribune back in 2000. And for the past 17 years, he's become one of the most respected writers and broadcasters in the business. We welcome Eric to the podcast and Joe Henderson. You get to drop the puck and ask Eric the first question. Yeah, uh, Eric, um, NHL season's a couple of weeks old. What has surprised you in a good way and maybe a bad way? Well, the biggest surprise has to be the Vegas Golden Knights um, expansion team. Uh, already set all kinds of uh, expansion team records, off to a 5-1 and one start after their first six games. Um, had a huge uh, home opener against the Coyotes, uh, scored four goals in, in the first period. Um, so that they have to be the biggest surprise. You, you know, you think of an expansion team and, and some of the teams that have come in the league in the past, and for them to have a, the best I mean, they were the first team to win their first three games, let alone start off at a, a five and one record. So, uh, that to me, that's the biggest thing. Um, I, I think the the biggest disappointment is some of the crowds in some of these markets. You know, the Carolina Hurricanes um, after their opening night, I think they only drew seven thousand for their second game, which has to be a little bit concerning to the league. Um, you know, obviously the Florida Panthers, we've you know that's that's a topic that comes up quite a bit in terms of their attendance. Um, you know, I was down there for the two preseason games that the Lightning played, and knowing that it's preseason, you know, the numbers were not very well. It was a very low attended couple of games down there. Uh, their second or their home opener, I think they only drew about 14,000. Now, it coincided with the Florida State-Miami game. Um, but, you know, to me, that's, that's the biggest disappointment is that, you know, the, the excitement level for the start of the season isn't there in a couple of markets that the league would really like to get propped back up. Well, we talk about the uh, the sellout string that they have here uh, in Tampa with the Lightning. Uh, what is what are they doing right here in Tampa Bay that maybe Miami is not doing? Well, I think it starts with the ownership first and foremost. Um, you know, certainly the the Lightning had had their struggles attendance wise at different various points through the the franchise's existence. Uh, you know, but since Jeff Vinnick has come in, you know, when he purchased the team in March of 2010. They've done a tremendous job in this market of branding the team, you know, putting the team's name out there, making sure that everybody knows who Jeff Finnick is, and certainly all the work that he's doing downtown uh, with the old Water Street project uh, certainly helps transcend beyond the sports scene here in Tampa. Um, you know, and, and I think fans have responded to that. Winning certainly doesn't hurt. You know, we all know that uh, Tampa can be a fickle sports market, and, and when you put a winning product on the ice, for the most part, you're going to get people to come out and support it and watch it. Um, you know, and, and going back to the first couple of um, uh, years of the Vinnick ownership, when every season ticket member got their own customized jersey if they bought a season ticket plan, 
I mean, what a great way to get to make sure that the, you know, the Lightning jerseys are the ones that are coming into the building. So I think that's what Tampa has done right. And Florida, I think it always comes back with Florida to the location of that arena. I mean, it's literally on the edge of the swamp, right? As you come across Alligator Alley, boom, there it is. It's right in the middle of, right on the edge and not in the middle of the big population area. So, you know, and the Panthers haven't had success either. You know, the Panthers haven't, um, they've only been to one playoff series uh, in the last 10 years. They've only won, they haven't won a playoff series since they went to the Stanley Cup final in 96. So, you know, if you can't give your uh, constituents or your your fans something to cheer about, they're not going to come out. Yeah, to echo Eric's comments, the the involvement in the community that the Lightning have shown, if a team can really commit to the market they're in the way the Lightning have, they'll see it paid back to them. And it it's not just the attendance. In the just few weeks I've lived down here, I see more Lightning paraphernalia than I do Bucks or any other local team. And that's that's really – it's it's almost surprising, but I, I think at this point, they're not just the model for Florida hockey. They are, along with Nashville, the co-models for Southern hockey. Ira Kaufman, question for Eric. I've been trying to lay low, guys, since I predicted a buck five game winning streak. <laughs> and I didn't think anybody would remember it, and, and, and I tried to stay away. But uh, Erlinson, I've got a question for you, young man. Um, considering the remarks by Mr. Kucherov in the off season, Eric, um, which caused a little bit of a stir, I think a channel side drive, even if they don't want to acknowledge it, um, how important is it in retrospect that Kucherov got off to this kind of start, Eric, and all of a sudden, you know, nobody's talking about uh, a dissatisfied winger. They're talking about one of the best players in, in hockey. So how, how important was it in that respect, considering uh, Kucherov made some off-season news? Uh, it, it's important, I, I think, just in, in the sense that, you know, I, I think the comments that he made, and he didn't directly call out any of his teammates, but he called out one, I think, in particular, um, when, he, when he made those comments over the summer about, you know, some guys just got their contract and kind of got lazy. Um, I, I think that came out of a burning passion that Nikita Kucherov has, and we don't normally think, especially you know, there's that stigma with a, with Russian players; they don't care about the Stanley Cup. But I, I think with Nikita Kucherov's case and, and knowing him a little bit, all of that came out of frustration that the team didn't make the playoffs. He wants to win; he has that desire. He's talked about that so many times, and you can see the passion in his eyes when he talks about it. So I think all you're seeing is him taking that frustration and that passion and putting it on display, basically he's backing up his work. Um, and, and I think that is important. I think it's an important message to him to send to himself, and I think it's an important message to send to his teammates and say, look, I'm frustrated we didn't make the playoffs. I'm going to help carry us there. I'm going to get us to that, that promised land, so to speak. And he's come out and shown everybody that, that passion that he has is what's driving him, I think, in this early part of the season. Hey, Eric, one more thing, Eric. Quick... One, one, Go ahead, one more uh, thing, one more thing, one more thing quick. Uh, Eric, explain this. When I when I was around Kucherov a couple of years ago, and I got him buttonholed in the corner, and I thought I got an exclusive, and he's, he gave me one-word answers. Uh, the guy was unusable. Uh, I see him on TV the other day, and he, he's speaking the King's English. What's going on over there, Erlinson? <laughs> um, well, he changed agents, and I can't say that it's directly related to that, but I think it's related to that. All of a sudden now he's on Twitter. 
He's much more social on Instagram. Uh, he's much more outward to the to the media when we're in there talking to him. You know, he was the same way last year when when um, you know he had his old agent at the All Star break when he was named the All Star team. The question was, hey, how excited are you to go to the All Star game? I'm excited, and that was the end of that answer. So I I think his new agent over the summer, you know, told him, look, you know, be out there. You're going to be a superstar in this league. You're going to have to be, you know, dealing with these kind of things. Just go out and, and show a little bit of personality, and I think I think that's where it comes from. Maybe they also got him a subscription to Rosetta Stone. <laughs> no, his, his English was always fine. Don't let, don't let those guys fool you. No, I, I've been around Ovechkin for 12 years. I can assure you I know what it's like not when, <laughs> when he wants to talk and when he suddenly can't understand English. Um, yep, it's a crutch when they need well, it. Yeah. Eric, go ahead, yeah, The question Joe, you I've got saying. is, is um, kind of related to Kucherov. The, there was a lot of, as Ira noted, a lot of controversy about uh, his remarks in the offseason. Um, nobody's thinking about that now, but how much uh, bigger impact uh, on on the Lightning uh, dressing room has there been since the trade of Jonathan Druin? Um, you know, that's a good question. Um, you know, I, I, I think there was a little bit of a distraction when he was in there, and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to say he was he was a bad influence in the room, but, you know, there were some of the veteran guys that didn't like sort of the move that he pulled uh, in, in terms of uh, demanding a trade and then walking away from the organization for a brief period of time a couple of years ago. Um, so I, I, you know, in that aspect, I, I think that there's probably some guys in that locker room who aren't disappointed that he's not in there anymore. I think on the ice is a different story. I think they miss his presence on the ice. I think he's such a, a unique kind of talent, uh, that's hard to find in this league. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you look at the player that got in return of Mikhail Sergachev, you know, I, I think he's going to be a pretty good defenseman here, uh, in the next year or two. It's going to take a little while, but uh, in terms of the impact in the dressing room, I, I think there's some veteran guys who aren't too disappointed that he's not in there anymore. Well, we're uh, we're always going to be concerned down here about Steven Stamkos' health. He's had yep. major injuries the last few years, and that's really where you would notice uh, the absence of a Druin if Stamkos gets hurt again. Yeah, on the ice for sure. Uh, well, in the power play, and, and I say that knowing that the Lightning have scored in every game to start the season in the first uh, you know six. Um, uh, in terms of the power plays, I mean that's the biggest area where I think they miss him. He's so creative with the puck. His vision is uh, so strong. You know, I think of a couple of plays that he set up last year, just cross ice passes that other guys can't do. Uh, that you're going to miss that offensive output if, if you're not, you know, if, if Steven Stamkos isn't there. You know, you can't rely on just Nikita Kucherov to carry you, even though he almost did last year. Um, but yeah, if 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 there's another injury. Even if it's to somebody else, you know, it's, you, you can't replace the offense that some of those big-name guys um, can add to your team. So if, yeah, something like that happens, that's where they'll miss Drew in a little bit more. The Lightning's early schedule is about as front-loaded as I've seen an NHL schedule in a while, especially at home, where last week they took on Washington, then Pittsburgh, then St. Louis. Their next home game is, again, against Pittsburgh, and then Detroit comes to town after that for their home games alone. And they've also been to Detroit, been to a surprising so far New Jersey team, and they're going to Columbus tonight. This is a really tough early schedule, and the Lightning are showing that it's not just potential for them. They they really – this could be a big year for the Tampa Bay Lightning. 
I think they've got off to a great start and it, I, I don't know what else to say other than this front loaded schedule was an early test for them. And I think they've performed tremendously under it. They have, you know, especially when you look at the way the first two games went, the back-to-back at home against Florida open the season. And then the next night down in sunrise uh, to, for their home opener down there, they didn't play particularly well, especially that second game gave up 48 shots, 40 of them, the first two periods, they were being out, uh, outworked. They were losing every puck battle. Florida was the first to every puck. And I think that was a little bit of a wake-up call for them, especially when you knew that Washington, Pittsburgh, St. Louis were the next three games on your schedule. Even though they were at home, those are three very difficult opponents. And I think it, it helped the Lightning's sort of confidence and psyche that not only were they going to win those games, to me, it was important. The way they won that game against Washington and the way the game against Pittsburgh, it's the way they won it. Those are two teams that have traditionally really given Tampa Bay fits the last few years. And in spurts of those games, Tampa was the dominant team. They had the puck. They had the, the pens and the, and the caps uh, pinned into their own end for extended periods of time. That's something that never happened in the last couple of years. Yes, they were able to squeak some points out of a couple of those games down the line, uh, but not in the fashion in which they did it. They proved that they are a team that learned, I think, from last year not making the playoffs and how important some of these early season games are to make sure you're picking up points. And to do it in the fashion they did, I think, is a huge boost to what this team potentially could be if they find a consistency in their game. And getting back to Kucherov for just a second, not only were those three great teams in a row that the Lightning had to face, those have some of the best hockey players in the world coming through and no line looked as good as the Stamkos Kucherov line and no hockey player that came through last week looked as good as Nikita Kucherov. So that's a very promising sign early in the season. Well, and and let's throw in. Yes. Well, Eric, I was just going to say that uh, I think the biggest story uh, overview uh, of the early season for the lightning and tell me if you agree is um, they're, they're back to winning the way Cooper wants to win. Um, a year ago at this time, they, they lost games five to four, drove Cooper up a wall. Um, now they're winning two to one and three to two. That That is the winning formula, Eric, that uh, that, that Cooper uh, espouses uh, ever since he came to Tampa. That That's the way he wants to play. Uh, a little bit. I, I think they're still concerned over the number of scoring chances against that they're giving up. Uh, that's not the MO they want to be. They want to be a team that does win games 2-1. to one. And, and for the most part, uh, you know, some of these early games, you know, you give up four the other night against Jersey. Um, you know, um, Pittsburgh got four goals on you. I, I think that's a concern uh, for them is just tighten up defensively. But they've made some tweaks to the neutral zone play. Uh, so you've got some adjustment that needs to go on. You know, if you think about it, yes, they played seven preseason games. It really was only the last two or three where the regulars were in the lineup uh, sort of learning the new uh, neutral zone system that they want to play. Um, I, what, I, what I like about it is that they're back to playing a little bit of fast hockey. You know, they're back to utilizing their team's strength, which is their speed. Uh, it's something I don't think they did enough of last year because they were too concerned of winning games two to one. You know, uh, but if you can if you can use your speed to your advantage and and play an up tempo style of game, which is what brought them success in 2015 and led them to the Stanley Cup final, I think that's the brand of hockey that you want to play. You just need to make sure you tighten some things up here and there and don't give up some of the scoring chances that they've given up in these first early games. Eric, I have a quick question for you with regard to um, the division. 
Um, last season, up close and personal, as the Capitals took on uh, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, I looked at that team and said, you know, they're scary now, but Jesus, they're going to be scary in 2017, 2018. Is the team to beat in the division uh, the Maple Leafs? I don't think so. I think the team to beat is Tampa. Um, and, 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 and I don't, I don't say that with a bias. I say that with a step back and looking at things. I know Toronto's gotten off to a great start. They can score some goals, but they're not playing Mike Babcock hockey. You know, Mike Babcock even came out uh, after the first couple of games when they were winning games like 5-2, 6-1. He even said, hey, it's fun to watch, right? But it's dumb. He doesn't like that style of hockey. So they're going to get rained back in a little bit, and we'll see how some of those young players adjust to it. I think they're a, a much better team than people want to give them credit for. Um, you know, they have some holes on the back end. They're certainly loaded up front with guys like Marner and, and Austin Matthews and, uh, you know, that young crop of, of uh, young forwards that they have. Uh, but I still think Tampa's a team to beat in this division. And on top of that, I, I only the players will ever know how much pressure affects what they do. But there's no team in the NHL that is going to have as much pressure on them as the as the Toronto Maple Leafs, especially now that the expectations are getting higher and higher and they've got off to this great start. They're going to have the largest city in Canada and Canadians all over the place looking at them and scrutinizing their every move and wondering, is this finally the team for them? Because, well, they're, they're getting on one of the longest droughts in sports. So they're going to have a lot to deal with off the ice as well as on the ice in Toronto. And Tampa doesn't have that. The The Lightning are in a pretty comfortable position. They are expected to do well, but they're not under tremendous pressure to do well, and they're off to a great start. So I, I think there's an advantage there as well. Well, in Tampa, you know, they've got they've got a young veteran core, if, if that's a, if not being too much of an oxymoron. Um, but, you know, their core is 25, 26, 27 years old who have now been through – you know, some long playoff runs, and they've, they've dealt with expectations, and they've uh, come up short on expectations, so they know how to deal with that sort of pressure, even though it may not be as intense as Toronto. It's still there internally and externally, uh, but because they have that, that group of young veteran players that have been through these sort of situations, they can handle it a little bit better, as opposed to that Toronto team who hasn't been through it. Like, there were no expectations on that team whatsoever last year. The fact that they made the playoffs was such a big bonus uh, for, for them and, and that experience that they got. So now how will they handle it? And we're already seeing the Edmonton Oilers are falling under the weight of those expectations. They've gotten off to a, a terrible start. There were some, pe- some people that were predicting them to reach the Stanley Cup final based on what they did last year, based on the kind of player that Connor McDavid is. And there's another Canadian market that, um, you know, that, that has that sort of same intense scrutiny, not to the level of Toronto, but they have it, and they're already starting to, to kind of falter a little bit. With all due respect, go ahead, Joe. With that in mind, um, are the uh, Montreal Canadiens as bad as they look? Because they look awful right now. Uh, I have always felt for the last number of years that the Montreal Canadiens were a fraud. I've always felt that they are simply an average team with a superior goaltender that covers up a lot of their mistakes. Even with the addition of Jonathan Drouin, I don't know who's going to score goals consistently for that team. I don't. I know, you know, Drouin's going to help, but, you know, where's Alex Galchenyuk in his uh, development and in his impact? And how much longer can you expect Matt Pacioretty to be a 30-goal scorer? Um, you know, and then you start to look at their third and fourth line, and you wonder, how are they going to score some goals? 
You know, you look at their defense. You know, there's no Andre Markov back there anymore, so there's so much pressure on Shea Weber. You know, how long can he continue to do that? So there's just, uh, to me, I just think Montreal has always been a fraud team who has had, a, uh, had that superstar goaltender that's really helped push them to where they're at. Well, they're not just so, losing. They're getting blown off the ice. Yep. Yeah, because they can't score. And Carey Price is off to a rough start. I think I saw his save percentage is around 880 right now, which is so very uncare, uh, not like Carey Price. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that, you know, there, there was so much pressure, I think, on Jonathan Drew, and you want to talk about an individual player under a lot of scrutiny. I think he is because he's a Francophone player playing in Montreal. They've been dying for that sort of, you know, uh, French-Canadian superstar, and, and everybody's expecting Jonathan Drouin to be their savior, and you can't put that all on a 22-year-old kid. Eric, let me ask you about the division. Um, obviously, you're high on the Lightning. Who are the um, who are the teams to look out for in the division and in the conference as you see it? Well, in the division, obviously, Tampa and Toronto, I think, are, are probably the top two teams. Uh, in it, uh, we'll see what the Ottawa Senators look like. They just get Eric Carlson back after he had some surgery in the off season. Um, are they going to be the same type of team? Can Guy Boucher replicate the success that they had last year, getting so close to getting to the Stanley Cup final? Um, we'll see what they look like. Um, the Buffalo Sabers, in theory, should be better, but they've gotten off to a rough start uh, with some of their talent. They got a new, new uh, head coach there, and Phil Housley. Um, you know, Montreal, just because of Carey Price, I think is a team that you have to watch, but they have holes. Um, you know, and Detroit, I think, has gotten off to a much better start than a lot of people expected. I, there were a lot of people who think that that team is going to end up near the bottom of, of the entire league, let alone the division. So, to me, it's Tampa, Toronto, and everybody else trying to chase for that third spot. And then in the conference, I like the Columbus Blue Jackets. I like the fact that now that they're in the second full year under John Tortorella, the players have an expectation level, what to know to, to get from the coach, and the coach knows what to get out of his players. I just think they're, uh, they have so much balance on their lineup. I think that's the team to really look at outside of the regular Pittsburgh and Washington. I think Columbus is the team in the East. That Metropolitan Division is going to be crazy all year. Columbus is is on the ascendancy. The New Jersey Devils, who knows how good they're going to be for the rest of the season, but they've got off to a fantastic start. Um, I really like what they're doing in Philadelphia. I'm biased as a college hockey guy, so you've got Dave Haxtell in there. They have a lot of college hockey alums in there. But they, I really like what they're doing as well, and they might be able to make some waves too. So that Metropolitan Division is going to be very interesting throughout the season. And don't count out the Carolina Hurricanes. They have a tremendous group on, back on D. Um, they've got their goalie, they think, and Scott Darling, who they traded, uh, they, they acquired from Chicago. They get a pretty good group of young forwards. That's a team that made some noise towards the tail end of the season, and they could kind of be that sleeper team. Let me throw something out to the panel. Uh, you mentioned John Tortorello. Here's a guy who's been at a number of stops. He's had success pretty much everywhere he's been, yet he can't keep a job. What is going, What is it about John Tortorello that makes him a great coach, but someone that doesn't seem to be able to hang with a franchise? It might to a degree well, be. Uh, it might to a degree be a hockey thing. Because that you could you could have said that of Mike Keenan, who was also a very highly regarded coach for a long time, who bounced from market to market. It just seems like there are certain hockey coaches that just that they're always on the move. Well, I, I I'll I'll say this about John Tortorelli. It's to me, it's it's not. It, I mean, voices 
go cold in a locker room. There's a shelf life on any coach. Uh, I think what's hurt John Tortorella over the last couple of years, he's such a type A personality that when he's in the heat of the battle, he doesn't have a dial-down switch. It's either on full power or it's completely off. There's no in-between with him. Um, so because of what we've seen with that high intensity, you know, some of the, some of the battles he had with the New York press when he was with the Rangers, that, that awful scene of him heading down to the Calgary locker room uh, in, in, in Vancouver, I, I think, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who thought that was it for him. You know, he, he wasn't going to have another job after that. And, and the fact that he's back in the league, he's, he's, he's toned himself down. And, I, and I have, I've had a couple of conversations with him since he went to Columbus. He's sort of changed. He's, he's sort of mellowed out a little bit as much as a, a guy like John Tortorella can mellow out. You know, like last year when they had that incredible winning streak. You know, normally he would have been all over his team, but he, he admitted he took a step back and, you know, go out, have some fun with it, enjoy it. It's something that's so unique in hockey that, you know, you might not get this opportunity again, so go out and have some fun with it. He allowed that, and I think that tells you he's a little bit of a different type of coach. He's matured as a coach in terms of how he deals with his players and how he deals with a lot of situations that maybe in the past would have had him very high strung. I'm very, well, he's I'm second. very sad to hear that, Jim. I'm very, very despondent to hear that because I want the old Tortorella, so does Henderson. Uh, there's, thir- there's 30 robots out there, and then there's Tortorella. Uh, you never know who he's going to go after, even if you're, even if you're the object of his uh, ire. It- it's fun from a media standpoint. Uh, John, John's always been fun, Ira. There's no question about that. You know, Eric, how, how many videos are there out there, top 10 Tortorella moments? I mean, you don't, you don't see that, you know, with John Cooper. You, you don't see it. And uh, from a media standpoint, Henderson, I hope Tortorella never grows up, baby. Oh, well, and, and this yeah, is what I always uh, loved about John Tortorella. <laughs> the thing I always loved about, about John Tortorella was he was going to be John Tortorella. He didn't care if it was in front of the cameras. He didn't care. If he had something to say, he was going to say it, as opposed to, as you mentioned, I was some of these robots who know that they're in front of the camera, so they're putting on a little bit of a different show than maybe they would put on differently. If John Tortorella mm-hmm. was yelling at us, I guarantee you he was yelling at his players. But there's one <laughs> one important point that needs to be made um, in regard to John's vagabond uh, period. He was basically run out of Tampa because of an ownership change, not because the team had fallen off that dramatically. You got the remember the the Coolis and 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 all that ownership disaster. And they come in, right. the first thing they do is they run off a Stanley Cup winning coach and bring in Barry Melrose, who lasted 16 games. So All 16 games of glory. But he looks yeah. good. I mean, he looked so that, good. Yeah, right. He, he, he looked good, giving that. But, uh, yeah. the, you know, that you can't blame Tortorella for the end of what happened to him in Tampa Bay. Now, would he still be the coach under uh, – you know, Vinnick and Eiserman, probably not. But like Eric said, everything has a shelf life. But, you know, there is that little qualifier about the end of his uh, tenure in Tampa because um, it was wildly successful beyond anybody's comprehension. And the fact that he maybe pushed uh, Vinny LeCavier a little hard and, and, and went round and round every now and then with Marty St. Louis and all the rest of them, that's just torts. That's who he is. And those players learned to adjust to it because they knew he could get them where they wanted to go, and he did. Hey, Joe well, and, I, and, and, um, and Ira, just uh, since you were on the torts situation, 
Isn't it weird that uh, he's in Columbus, which makes him the second craziest coach in the in the city with uh, with Urban Meyer? <laughs> oh, I and think got Greg, a lot crazy Greg Seattle's in there too. I, I was about to say maybe he's the third. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and I'll give you a quick story about that too, about what John Tortorella actually meant to his players. Uh, the lockout year when the NHL didn't play, Vinny LeCavalier went to Russia, and obviously we know the history that those two had. Vinny wanted out; he wanted no part to do with Tortorella. After spending a year in Russia, Vinny couldn't wait to get back to Tampa to get back. <laughs> Structure that John Tortorella provided to him. That's all you need to know about the impact that John Tortorella has. Yeah, I mean, oh, they man. hated him and they respected him at the same time. And, you know, that uh, Ira, uh, you'll appreciate this analogy, there was a little Lombardi in him. He, no question he would, about it. He would drive them to the brink. They would cuss him. They would hate him. And then they'd go out and win for him. So, you know, uh, he was one of my personal favorite coaches ever to deal with for reasons that Ira articulated. He was a blast to cover. Um, Eric, I wouldn't necessarily have wanted to be in your shoes back then as a beat man. Um, that could be, that could be a little challenging, but uh, you know, in terms of, of being uh, a, kind of a must, must stop, you gotta, you always had to listen to what Torts had to say because you never knew what was going to come out of that mouth, but it was always going to be entertaining. And Jim, I got a question. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Jim, I got a question for our, for our uh, esteemed guest. How do you like that yeah. one, Erlinson? Use uh, that one loosely, Eric. <laughs> <laughs> Eric, talk a little bit uh, about um, the state of the league as a whole. Eric, 25 years for Gary Bettman. Nobody would have predicted that. Gary Bettman. Come in 1992, I guess he was a counsel in the NBA, uh, no experience in hockey. Here he is 25 years later. Eric, they've expanded extensively. Um, how's the league doing, TV contracts, attendance? Uh, what's the health of the NHL right now, uh, Mr. Rowlandson? I think league-wide attendance is, is uh, as good as it's ever been. You know, there are exceptions, as I touched on earlier with Carolina and Florida. Uh, you know, there there are some issues in, in terms of, of getting fans out to those games. Uh, TV ratings are up. I think NBC Sports has done a tremendous job of helping grow the league uh, in, in terms of the exposure that they give it, the amount of games that are nationally televised. Um, I think, you know, NBC is probably not happy that the NHL is not going to the Olympics this year. That's a great opportunity to expose the league a little bit more to maybe some fans who don't know what the NHL is all about. Uh, but the fact that you know, a lot of people, I mean, Gary Bettman is booed in almost every building he ever comes into or, or makes uh, some sort of an appearance at, and I'm, I'm never really sure why, because Tam, fans in Tampa should never boo Gary Bettman because the team would not be here. Um, you know, fans uh, in any of these other markets, Carolina or um, any of these other teams that have expanded through the years, the growth that this league has had under Gary Bettman's watch. I know the fans have some issues with some of the things that he's done, but the owners love him because of what he's been able to do for the league and help grow the league to what is now 31 teams. We expect it to be 32 at some point uh, in, the, in the somewhat near future, uh, add another team to the Western Conference and kind of round things out a little bit. But to me, I, I think the league has been in the best shape it ever has been. I think the, the speed and the skill of the game, which under some of the old – uh, sort of eras in, in terms of the clutch and grab. You never would have seen guys like Johnny Goudreau couldn't be the stars that they are under that system. So I think they've cleaned a lot of stuff up in the game. 
the young, exciting players that are coming in the league are having such a huge impact. I think it's, it's never been in better shape. We'll be back with more of the Sunshine Boys podcast after this. T-Mobile's Unlimited now includes Netflix on us. That's right, Netflix on us. Get four unlimited lines for just 40 bucks each, taxes and fees included, and now Netflix included. So go ahead, binge on us. Another reason why T-Mobile is America's best unlimited network. Welcome back to this edition of Sunshine Boys Podcast, and now more with Eric Erlinson. Let's go back a little bit and um, downshift. Um, we would be less than um, less than fair if we did not take a look at the National Football League. Something uh, that has this week had a it's interesting situation with the uh, commissioner uh, Roger Goodell and having the owners meeting and having the uh, press conference this week saying that. Uh, they are not going to mandate that uh, the players stand during the national anthem. They'd like them to, but they're not going to mandate it, and uh, they're not going to um, adhere to the pressure. Uh, Mr. Kaufman, Mr. Henderson, uh, your thoughts on that? Well, uh, I think Joe would agree with me that uh, if Goodell uh, ever re- resigns, and why would you when you're making $35 million? but if he ever decides to go in another profession, Joe, he, he'd be one heck of a politician. Um, he can give Chuck Schumer uh, a run for his money any day of the week. Joe, two days of meetings, intense meetings, subcommittees, uh, you know, o- overlay committees, and, and, and what do we get out of it? Absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yes, we encourage players to stand. No, we're not going to demand it. Take that, Jerry Jones. He's already on record saying Cowboys who kneel would be suspended. Joe, if Dak Prescott is kneeling, Dak Prescott isn't getting suspended. You know it, and I know it. So well, I just think fans are fans are absolutely tired of this whole thing. And here's my message to the National Football League, uh, gentlemen. Henderson, I challenge you to top this. Uh, here's my memo to 32 owners. You want to do something about racial inequality, gentlemen? Hire some more black general managers. I'm out. Well, you can drop the mic on that one, Ira. Um, but um, that would be one step. But let's go back to the to your talk about Goodell. Um, first off, he he might be very uh, political, but I doubt he could get elected in a lot of places. He's not real popular uh, with the masses. Or I think uh, when you start taking on Jerry Jones, he's already we know how. Uh, Bob Kraft feels about him, um, you know, that will that will kind of erode his standing among ownership. Having said that, it's an impossible job. So what's he supposed to do? Uh, bow to Donald Trump and, and, and mandate these players must stand or else? Then what happens when uh, the entire uh, – New England Patriots team, Tom Brady included, goes out and takes a knee. What do you do then? So what they need to do is just shut up about it. Just shut up. Let it go. You know, players are going to do what they do. Players always are going to push the envelope. And 
Some are going to take a knee. It's a relatively small percentage, I believe. Uh, they might lock arms. They might do whatever. Or maybe even have them stay in the locker room until the, until the anthem is played and then come out. They used to do that. But now you you come out, you got to make this big patriotic show. You got the football field length American flag you unfurl. You got the flyovers. You got this. You got that. Well, that has a chance of turning into just what we've seen because all it takes is a few guys going, oh, hey, wait a minute. I'm not buying into this. That's what we're seeing. And so I think the NFL's best strategy on this going forward is to say no comment. Top let's, that, move Ira. let's move forward, um, Ira and Joe, to um, – Ira, you've been out at the One Buck Place. Jameis Winston was injured in the game last week. Do you take a chance uh, on on uh, ruining your franchise quarterback, or do you start uh, Fitzpatrick this week? I got to see <clears throat> I got to see Winston throw, James. He, he's not going to practice. He's handing the ball off. He's not throwing the ball during practice this week. And I'm not putting him in the game until uh, I know that he can make all the throws. And if he's 75 percent, Jameis Winston, I'm going with. Fitzpatrick, and by the way, whoever's under center, uh, I think Doug Martin needs to get the ball 20 or 25 times because Buffalo's strength is on the defensive side. They force a lot of turnovers, and the Bucks got to get back to normalcy. Right now, you know, they're down 21 nothing uh, before they turn around in both road games. Here comes road game number three, and, uh, you know, just stay competitive in the first half so you can stay balanced. Uh, I'm going with Fitzpatrick, Jim, unless I am convinced that uh, Winston is not hampered physically uh, by that shoulder. Henderson, well, what's up? supposed to get uh, Quan Alexander back finally this week, right, Ira? Yes, that is so right. That's, that's going to help your defense a little bit, too. But, uh, you know, this is I, – I, I don't think it's an overstatement to say the season is uh, hanging by a thread this week as they head to Buffalo. Because you lose this, now you're two and four. Now the the cat calls are really starting to come. People in the locker room may start to question. I I think this is uh, actually uh, the most critical game to date of Dirk Cutter's coaching career. How do you like that? Not Ira? bad, Joe. Not bad because the, the division play, Jim, starts uh, the following week when Carolina comes to town, and uh, mm-hmm. they got all these division games. In the final ten games, I think Joe's gone to something there. Three and three is not a disaster. Two and four, we saw what happened last year when they got in that three and five hole. They couldn't overcome it. So I think mm-hmm. Joe's right. Eric, yes. Your thoughts on uh, on the what's going on this week in Buffalo between the uh, Buccaneers and the and the um, Bills. I, I think Joe's dead on. I, I think that this is such a, a such a key game um, on on so many different levels. Uh, you know, there's already starting questions coming about Dirk Cutter and his ability to call plays and and his feel for the game, and then wondering if maybe he shouldn't relinquish uh, giving up the play calling. Um, you know, so if if you come out of that game uh, two and four, and 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 there's a, there's more questions about the offensive game plan and how the game is. Regardless of who's under center, whether it's Fitzpatrick or whether it's Winston, um, you know you have to find a way uh, to win this game. So if you come out two and four, um, 
you know, that's that's a huge hole to climb out of in the NFL. Um, you know, especially for a team that already lost their bye week due to the hurricane. Um, you know, they're playing consecutively. They don't have a chance here to catch their breath at any point the rest of this season. Um, I, I think it's it's a key game. I, I think Joe is dead on in how important uh, this game is going to be, not only just for this season, but potentially beyond. Tim, you uh, did um, you did um, the big game between Harvard and uh, Northeastern when you were doing play by play, and uh, Fitzpatrick was the quarterback. Three years in a row, he just he torched that no no longer existent Northeastern Huskies football program. He he just lit it up. I I'll agree with Ira that I wouldn't start Winston in this game, and the reason I wouldn't start Winston in this game is. It's not just this game. It's 11 straight games. There's no bye week. There's no rest coming. I don't know that much about Winston's injury. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to pretend to be one. But it seems like you're going to need to rest that shoulder sooner or later. And you absolutely can't do it next week at home against Carolina, which, yes, this Bills game is very important for the Bucks and for Dirk Cutter and for their season. But if they lose at home to Carolina, I'm pretty sure their entire hopes of making the playoffs get killed right there. So you have to win that game. You have to. And by the way, Winston has not looked that great this season healthy. So if you bring him back at 75%, what's that going to look like with an offense that's still trying to figure things out? So I think this might be time to start Ryan Fitzpatrick to hope he captures the kind of magic that I saw him you know, light up my Huskies with two years in a row. And that would be, that would be great for the Buccaneers. And it would be great for Winston to get that week to rest his shoulder and maybe just calm down and learn what he and Dirk Cutter are going to do together moving forward, because it's been kind of a jumble so far. Well, Fitzpatrick played in Buffalo. um, So he knows the the stadium, he knows the situation and it's not going to be, it's not going to be comfortable up there. It's going to be, Game time temperature is probably going to be about 55, 60. There's going to be wind. It's not a fun place to play, and it really is a good idea if you have somebody who knows what it's like playing in Buffalo. Let's go on, Joe, to um, the situation with regard to um, our wonderful um, Green Bay Packers team without Aaron Rodgers. Is that a team that um, – is that suddenly thrown the whole thing in crazy? Well, duh. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I'm okay. So I'm Captain Obvious. All right. I am Captain Obvious. Yeah. But, uh, gee, you um, think the Packers are any good without the uh, Eric Rogers? Hello. Uh, um. No, I don't think the Packers are a playoff team without Aaron Rodgers. Um, he has masked a lot of sins for that team, uh, because, um, with due respect to to Tom Brady, just as a pure quarterback. Uh, Aaron Rodgers is the best in the league. And um, I think it was a dirty hit by Anthony Barr uh, of the Vikings that knocked him out, broke his collarbone. Uh, It was an unnecessary hit. And um, if you saw the uh, pixeled out uh, words that uh, video that uh, Rodgers was shouting at him after the, uh, after the injury, you can, you can bet that, Aaron Rodgers feels the same way too. Um, You know, if you're Green Bay right now, you are looking uh, 
basically at a disaster. There's just no other way to put it. And mm-hmm. you don't replace an Aaron Rodgers. And and I don't even know how you, you go about game planning from here on out. Ira, what, what does Mike McCarthy do? Well, the problem, guys, is, is that Rodgers is one of those guys like a Drew Brees or a Brady that, you know, makes average receivers, you know, all look like Jerry Rice. Um, that's what these guys do. I mean, uh, when guys leave New Orleans, you never hear from them again, but they, they were studs like Jimmy Graham uh, is in Seattle, is doing nothing. Uh, he plays with Breeze, you know, you know, a guy scoring uh, 11 touchdowns. Brady's like that. Would anybody ever hear of Chris Hogan if he was playing for the Jacksonville Jaguars? Absolutely not. So that's what happens. So the offense grinds to a halt. Their defense is okay. Uh, but Rodgers was carrying that team. Joe, the, this, the cavalry's not coming in Green Bay. It opens the door for Minnesota, which is a very tough team at home. They can beat anybody at home, as the Bucks will attest. And, uh, the, you know, the Vikings have a strong defense. So they are now the favorites, I think, uh, in the NFC North. And, um, and Tim, if, if you would uh, agree with me here, uh, it opens the door for the Eagles. Because if you look around the NFC, that was a terrible loss by Atlanta. Absolutely horrible. In control against Miami at home. And Jay Cutler rallies him. Uh, Seattle's good, Tim, but not great. Um, the Rams look good, but does anybody really believe the Rams will be playing deep into January? Um, so, And Dallas doesn't look very good. So, Tim, uh, with the Rodgers injury um, down the line, it, it, it could be big for teams like Philadelphia. Yeah, I'd say right now, and of course right now is a third of the way into the NFL season just about, so it's way too early to say these kind of things. And with all due respect to your beloved Chiefs, I'd say the Eagles are currently the best team in the NFL. They look excellent right now. They're certainly the best team going in the NFC, although Carolina might might have something to say about that. But record-wise, the Eagles are 5-1. and one. The Panthers are four and two, and the Eagles' only loss came to another very good team in the Chiefs. So they look like they're in rare form right now, especially rare form for an Eagles team that has been in contention an awful lot in their history, but hasn't really, there haven't been a lot of times where those Eagles teams have made the leap. This could be the year for. Peterson's team for Carson Wentz, who looks fantastic so far. The the door is wide open for the Eagles. You're absolutely right about that. And Rodgers going down just opens it even wider. Hey, Joe. Well, and, and oh, go ahead, I wanna, uh, Eric. Go I, ahead. Yeah, just a quick point about the Packers. That offense was so reliant on Aaron Rodgers, they don't have a running game that they can lean on. They have a converted wide receiver as their featured tailback. That's how reliant that offense was on Aaron Rodgers and his ability to, to, to hit his receivers and, and open things up with the passing game. If you don't have a passing game, the Packers never had a running game. That makes them so much more easier to defend. Yep. Over on the AFC uh, side, uh, there's actually a big game between, uh, the, uh, between the Steelers and the Bengals this week because um, the Ravens head off to play a game against uh, Ira's uh, – aforementioned uh, Minnesota Vikings, this could be a, um, a critical game in the uh, NFC North for, uh, for the Bengals if they can't get by Pittsburgh. 
Joe's Bengals oh, are starting to stir a little bit. They're starting, yeah, Joe. starting to stir. Um, if they win this game, which is, you know, it's always difficult, but if they win this game, they will be tied uh, with at least the Steelers. Um, right. In for in 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 the loss column, the Steelers have a game in in hand. In hand. Right. But right. to suggest that that would have been possible after they start after the Bengals started off zero and three would have would, you guys would have uh, laughed me off the, uh, the the set here. So mm-hmm. big game, obviously big game. Um, Steelers surprised me a little bit last week against your Chiefs, Ira. Uh, I thought I think they, uh, they they just match they match up well against Kansas City, Joe. I think that's yeah. what it is. Mm-hmm. Well, they they match up well against the Bengals too because they beat them every time they play. It seems like, but uh, a lot of questions about Ben Roethlisberger. A lot of questions, um, mm-hmm. and you know the Steelers. To me, they've been kind of treading on thin ice all year with you know locker room issues and. People questioning is Roethlisberger, uh, is he is he done? Is, is, you know all of this kind of stuff, and um, so I would submit to you um, that while it is a huge game for the Bengals, it's a massive game for the Steelers because they if they lose that game at home to Cincinnati, uh, the carping will really start in Pittsburgh, and. Um, as we all know, that can tear a team apart. And uh, and a fun fact. Let me throw in a fun stat for you sure. here uh, uh, that uh, people aren't uh, paying much attention to. Of the starting quarterbacks in that division, only Andy Dalton, the much maligned Andy Dalton, has more touchdowns than interceptions so far this season. Where's A.J. McCarron? AJ McCarron is uh, he he strikes a fine pose on the sideline. Um, I don't know that he's actually. I don't know that he's holding a clipboard. I think he's in consultation, uh, maybe with uh, some of the other guys around the bench. What do you think we ought to run here? I don't know, but uh, <laughs> you know, since the Bengals made that change at offensive coordinator, yeah. Andy Dalton has looked kind of like the quarterback the Bengals thought they that he would be when they gave him the big contract. So. Good on him. Uh, the Bengals have had a week off to get ready for this game. Uh, that's going to be a knockdown drag out, and it's going to be mm-hmm. a lot of fun to watch. Tim, hey, Jim, we got to Jim. Uh, Go ahead, Ira. Jim. We got to give it. We got to give a little tip of the hat to uh, the Dolphins. I mean, we do. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, terrible start. Uh, they've straightened out. Um, mm-hmm. New England is not uh, the New England uh, you know we're used to. I think Tim would agree with that. They've got mm-hmm. they've got major issues. Even when they win, the Patriots don't look overly impressive. That's what strikes me. Um, and only the great Belichick could be 4-2 at this point uh, with this team, the great Belichick and Brady. That, that's the only way this team could be possibly be 4-2. Uh, but the Dolphins are playing good defense, mm-hmm. you know, like we thought they would, and doing just enough. You know, they got a running back, and uh, Cutler's mm-hmm. not playing bad right now. That was a tremendous win by Miami in, in Atlanta. One heck Absolutely. of a win. Hey, and by the way, the Jaguars, you know, don't sleep on them either. Well, you never know which team's going to show up, Jim. You don't True. know. I'm just saying that they're they're playing a decent uh, brand of football. So They got a heck of a defense, Joe, the Jaguars. They got a oh, heck of a do. defense. Well, and they've been building that for a couple of years. And mm-hmm. um, 
all of a sudden, you know, Blake Bortles isn't the worst quarterback in the league. So, you know, who knows? That That's a team that can, you know, they've got a strength and they can get on a run. So, um, And it's amazing yeah, what, a, what a stud rookie running back like Leonard Fournette can do for you, too. Oh, that's that is right. absolutely correct. That's right. You know, it's funny. I'm going to give Ira full credit on this. Ira was uh, one of the first to jump on the uh, Fournette bandwagon when uh, when he went to Jacksonville. Ira just said, you know, this is going to be the guy. And he was right. And, uh, you know, really, he and Todd Gurley have been the uh, the stud running backs in, in the league this year as far as people. The top, just, uh, you know, thing. Jim, the top two rushers in the league are, are rookies. Uh-huh. Uh, Kareem, Kareem Hunt, who uh, – you know, it was an early MVP candidate. Uh, wasn't right. great against Pittsburgh, but wasn't terrible. Um, nope. Hey, one more thing about the Jags. Joe, you know this guy uh, very well. Um, this guy is not getting a lot of ink right now, but um, if he's not right now, I would say within a year, he, he will be the best player in the league at his position. And, and the guy's name is Jalen Ramsey uh, of Jacksonville, cornerback. Uh, Joe knows him as, as a seminal um, mm-hmm. high, high pick, high pick, uh, has battled some injuries. Joe, he, he's playing at a fantastic level right now. He absolutely is. And, and all you have to do to see the value of a cornerback is look at what's going on right here in Tampa Bay with Vernon Hargraves, another number one pick who uh, has been terrible to this point. Let's just say it. And um, corners make the difference in the NFL, especially – uh, with all the spread offenses and everything, you've got to have guys who can cover, make plays in space, and, and Jalen Ramsey is is uh, playing as well as anybody right now. All right, boys, we've got to have to wrap this thing up. Let's uh, run through social media, and um, also you can put down where we can uh, read your stuff. All right. Uh, final thoughts from uh, Ira Kaufman. All right. Uh, Jim, social media, at iKaufman76. Um, just a quick comment on the uh, postseason in baseball. Uh, I have a memo to the uh, Houston Astros as they return home down 3-2 against the Yankees. Uh, gentlemen, uh, get your bats out of hibernation. Uh, Yankee pitchers are making you look awful, terrible. Uh, now, Raldus Chapman can do that. Batances can do that. But you can't hit their starters either. Tanaka looks like... Sandy Koufax uh, right now. Uh, Sabathia, you're, you're struggling with. Um, guys, Altuve can't do it by himself. So, you know, my message is to the George Springers of the world out there, don't be afraid to get a hit, gentlemen. Uh, you average five or six runs a game during the regular season, and uh, you're not going anywhere unless uh, some of those bats come alive. So uh, take that, Astros. And George Springer, having grown up a Red Sox fan, I bet he'll be kicking himself all offseason if he can't help get rid of the Yankees. Well, now that you're talking, Tim, give us your give us your uh, social media and your 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 uh, comments, if you will. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports. You can find my columns at Sports Talk Florida. I'll be covering the Lightning game tonight from my couch, and. <laughs> You know, just getting back to football really quick, we talk about teams that are at a critical moment in their season. We talked about how big Buffalo's or the game in Buffalo is going to be for Tampa Bay. But there's one team who I think is facing not only 
does their season hinge on this. I think their sanity hinges on this, and that's the Atlanta Falcons. They just lost at home in a game where they had a big second-half lead and lost it and lost the game. And now, on top of that, they have to go play the New England Patriots, the, the, the team that did it to them in the Super Bowl. So they're going to be hearing all week about blown leads and about exercising demons, and then they're going to have to play a team that, while they haven't looked good, they've been able to pull out some wins. So if the Falcons don't win against New England, if the Patriots beat the Falcons, particularly if they beat them badly, I could see this season turning very ugly for Atlanta and very fast. Eric, our guest, you're up, my friend. Yeah, social media, you can find me on Twitter at Eric, it's E-R-I-K underscore Erlinson, E-R-L-E-N-D-S-S-O-N. Uh, the website is lightninginsider.com. I also have a Facebook page, uh, Lightning Insider, uh, that you can also find my work. And, and I want to touch on one of the things, um, back to hockey real quick, and we didn't really bring this up during our discussions, but Andre Vasilevsky, the Lightning goaltender, a lot of people had a lot of questions about whether he was able to handle a number one role uh, at the age of 23. And a lot of people will look at him saying he's not Ben Bishop. Can he handle it? I think people have to understand how ready this guy is. He's got so much experience for such a young goaltender. He's already started a Stanley Cup final game. He started the Eastern Conference Finals. He led Russia uh, to a bronze medal at the World Championships this past summer. Uh, The only thing he lacked was a true number one experience. And based on his early play, and some people argue with me, his numbers don't stand out to you. But he has been phenomenal. He has been the best player for the Lightning almost every night they've been out there. He's given his team a chance to win, and that's the mark you always look for in a top goaltender. And the Pittsburgh game was a perfect example. Pittsburgh was mounting a comeback. Every time Tampa would score, the Penguins would answer. Well, late in the game, Jake Gensel gets a breakaway, and Andre Vasilevsky comes up with the save, keeps Tampa in the lead. They go on to win that game. That's the true measure of whether a goaltender is ready. Can he make you the saves when he has to, if maybe he hasn't had the best game possible? And I'm telling you, Andre Vasilevsky is going to be a Vezina candidate sooner rather than later. And let's wrap it up, Joe, with uh, Joe Henderson, social media thoughts. Well, you can find me on Twitter uh, at the initial J Henderson Tampa. And um, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and just say the game that I'll be watching uh, besides the NFL this weekend is um, the Michigan at Penn State game, because we're going to find out a lot about both teams. We remember that Michigan just utterly mauled Penn State last year. It was close to a 40-point blowout. And Penn State, a lot of people believe that if anybody's going to beat Alabama this year, it's going to be Penn State. But we actually saw last weekend uh, the futility of trying to look too far ahead in college football when you had Clemson lose, you had Washington lose, you had Washington State get just obliterated, uh, and those were top ten teams. So um, people are going to say that Penn State uh, you know, is, is the golden team right now. But Michigan needs to save their season. They go in there and they and they lose that game. That's two losses, and they completely drop out of the national conversation. So that's the game I'm going to be watching. I think it's going to be a tremendous one. I'll tell you what. Uh, there's going to be 102,000 people at State College, and if you've ever been 
to uh, State College and seen the whiteout, which you're going to see uh, this coming uh, this coming Saturday night. It is something to behold. It'll be a very interesting game. I frankly, I'm a James Franklin fan. Um, I know Jim Harbaugh. I like Jim Harbaugh. It's going to be a hell of a game, and it's going to be worth uh, worth watching. So absolutely, Joe, I think you're spot on. That's going to be a fun game to watch. That brings to a close this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. Now, if you haven't yet subscribed to the podcast, it's easily enough done. We are in the iTunes store, Google Play, or Blog Talk Radio. We're on the most popular podcast app on the planet, Stitcher. And of course, if you're one of the over 120 million people who have the TuneIn app on your phone, then just search the Sunshine Boys podcast, hit the favorite button, and you'll get us every week. So that's easily enough done. Thanks, as always, to Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson, the Sunshine Boys themselves, to Tim Williams, and, of course, to our special guest, hockey insider, Eric Erlinson. Until next time, I'm Jim Williams saying goodbye for the Sunshine Boys.
This call is being recorded. Test one, two, three, test one, two. Welcome to this edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, your host, joined by the Sunshine Boys themselves, Ira Kaufman and Joe Henderson. We also welcome Tim Williams, as always, to be part of our gang here. Well, we're going to talk some NHL hockey, and when you talk hockey, it's always good to have the best in the business joining us today. Eric Erlinson is uh, a guy who started covering the Tampa Bay Lightning for the Tampa Tribune back in 2000. And for the past 17 years, he's become one of the most respected writers and broadcasters in the business. We welcome Eric to the podcast. And Joe Henderson, you get to drop the puck and ask Eric the first question. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. 